So we're going to continue in our series, which we're calling The Guardian, uh, to look into different types of coverings that we have. Uh, in the scripture we're using for this series is uh, in, found in Psalms 121, uh, verse 3 and 4. It says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will not slumber nor sleep. It's talking about God, how God watches over us, how God is a covering upon us, how God is our guardian. Uh, Pastor Dan opened up the series a couple weeks ago with uh, the covering of God, looking at the different coverings uh, that God provides for you. And then last week, uh, Brother Manny, he went into a parent's protection, talking about the covering that parents have over their children. So I kind of want to pick up where uh, Brother Manny left off. Um, and I want to talk about a, what we're calling a generational covering. And what that is, is a covering from our elders, from those that, you may be grandparents, aunts or uncles, those that, you know, that are older here in the church, those that have some experience. I want to look at the covering of, of, of uh, the generational covering from our, our, uh, our, our, our elders in the church. When I was thinking about this, I was trying to think of some different, you know, stories and stuff like that. And, and I started thinking about my parents. I really did. Um, because my parents were, were great parents. You know, they, they did a really good job with me and my sister. I have two sisters. I did a really good job. And, you know, they're really good parents. They, they, they really uh, were, you know, involved in our lives. We, we did a lot uh, as a family. And, and, and then when we got married, we started having kids. Uh, man, they just set the example for being grandparents. Um, you talk to my kids and the influence that my parents have over my son's lives, my nieces and nephews' lives, it's just incredible uh, what a great uh, blessing they are for, as grandparents. And now they're great-grandparents now that our sons are having kids and, and they're great-grandparents. And my wife was asking me about my parents the other day because she, she's been, when I say Tina, that's my wife, okay? So anybody doesn't know, my wife Tina, my beautiful wife right here, she's going to get mad. So I'm going to mention her a few times so everybody's going to be like, who's Tina? That, that's my wife right here. A beautiful wife, December will be married 38 years, amen. Best thing that happened to me, amen, praise God. There's a whole story how we met, but that's another, that's another message, amen. But she's been doing webinars, she's been working for home, and they've been doing webinars, and they're going through different cultures. Uh, they work with families that uh, help uh, children with special needs, and they've been doing, each week, they've been doing a different webinar on different cultures, you know, his, uh, the African-American, uh, Asian, uh, indigenous people, and they did one on, on Hispanic people, and she was asking me, she goes, hey, were your parents really into the, you know, the, the Mexican culture, you know, the, the whole, whole thing, you know, surrounding, where they, you know, had all that, uh, you know, that pride and all that, and I started thinking about it, I go, nah, not really. My parents were hippies, amen, I just really think about it. We, we had a, a van, hey man, you know, one of those hippie vans that we would drive around in. We were always in the mountains camping. My mom loved to wear flower dresses, you know, and I thought, you know, my parents were hippies. You know, they weren't into the, 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 the race thing. They were into just loving people. They got along with everybody. My dad, I swear, anywhere we went, my dad would befriend the people that were there. He would just become a friend to them, you know. So, you know, so I was thinking about that, you know, it just, th those were my parents, amen. But I really drew a lot of things that I was raised in from them, and also as a grandparent, as watching them, you know, with my kids, and also with my, 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 my sister's kids, and kind of the example they set for me. Uh, we looked at last week that children are a gift from the Lord. You know, they are a reward for them. The children are a gift from God. You know, God blesses us with our children, but then they get older, amen, and then the real blessing comes in. Proverbs 17, 6 says, grandchildren are the crown of the age. 
They are the reward to us as older people. Our grandchildren are a blessing from God. We have, yes, a, a gift from God as our children, but our grandchildren are a, 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 just a crown of glory, a reward from God. One man wrote that grandchildren are a reward for not killing your own children when they were teenagers. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I can attest to that. Amen. Tina, my wife Tina, Tina shared the story with me. She told me there was a woman that was asked how it was, how it was, how did she feel to be a great-grandmother for the very first time? And she said, man, it is so great till I realize that I am a mother of a grandfather. Amen. Psalm 128, 5 and 6. That's it. I'm no more jokes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Psalm 128, 5 and 6. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. And this is the part we need to look at. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May you have peace in Israel. I was reading an article last week, or actually this week, it was a couple in New Delhi, and what they were doing is they were suing their son and daughter-in-law, and the reason they were suing them is that because they said that they have not given us grandchildren. He says that he is given, he, and the courts accepted his complaint, it was in New Delhi, they actually accepted his complaint, and he says, we're giving him one year to give us a grandchild, or he owes us $675,000. He says, we married him off six years ago with the, with the understanding that we were going to have grandkids. I paid a year's salary to put him through pilot school here in the United States, and we have nothing. I feel unloved right now. And his father actually is suing his son because he wants grandchildren. And I started thinking about it. And I said, man, I understand how he feels. My sons took a while to have grandkids. They were like, you know, they, they, they got married, and, and I was getting older and older and a little bit older. And I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, when are we going to start having grandkids? I said, man, I should have sued you. <laughs> Took you to court. We'd have had them sooner. But God has blessed us. We have six girls, six granddaughters. Uh, we have one, one grandson. And it says, may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. And I am enjoying my grandchildren. I love being called grandpa. That's just, when I hold, because my oldest is seven. The youngest is about three months old. And every time you hear the word grandpa, you know, it's just like, oh, it just melts your heart. And I'm enjoying that. But tonight, I don't want to just look at grandparents, but I want to also look at those that maybe are aunts or uncles, that you have a great deal of influence, great relationships with your nieces or nephews. Maybe you're just here and you've been in the church for a number of years. Uh, we need to understand that, that I want to look at the covering we have over the younger generation because we have a great deal of influence. Uh, even aunts and uncles. I, I, I was sharing about my mom. My, my, my mom has two sisters that went to be with the Lord some years ago. And my mom is always calling my cousins, always calling everyone, just keeping in contact with them, just showing them love, just encouraging them. I have an aunt, my Aunt Pauline, who's always texting me, just encouraging me, always sending me texts of encouragement. And, and, and so I want to include, maybe, maybe you're not a grandparent, but those nieces or nephews, those that you may have influence over. So my first point is our job's not done. Our job's not done. I... I mean, the brother, we talk about that. I'm starting to look forward to retirement now. I'm getting to where I'm starting to count the years, you know, as, you know and I'm looking forward to retirement. And many of you are doing the same too. Maybe you already retired because we earned it. You know, many of you have worked hard, you know, uh, did the, the whatever hours you put in for work and you, you, you made a lot of sacrifice and now it's time to retire and you earned it. I remember one Wednesday night I walked in, I, I drove into the parking lot and I seen this brand new mobile home, mobile home in the parking lot. Found out it was Pastor Dan's parents, Frank and, Frank and Margaret, amen. It's like, well done, praise God. You earned it. You earned it, amen. 
That's what I mean, uh, Commander Manuel, yep, we always talk about it because we're about the same age and we're starting to, you know, be about the same time we're going to be, re be retiring. And we always talk about that. So when we retire, we're going to take road trips. We're going to probably do the same thing. We'll, or maybe we'll borrow yours, amen? <laughs> save me some money there. But that's what we talk about, you know, that, you know, we're going to enjoy retirement because, you know, we deserved it. We, 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 we really uh, earned it. But one of the things we need to be careful from when we start to retire is we don't retire from what God wants us to do. That we don't retire from the responsibility that God has given us. In Psalm 71, David's writing here, he says, Oh Lord, alone, you alone are my hope. I trusted you, O oh Lord, from childhood. Yes, I have been, yes, you have been with me from birth, from my mother's womb. You have cared for me. No wonder why I always praise you. My life is an example to many. He says, my life is an example to many. He's older now. Because you have been my strength and my protection. People are wanting to see what David was going to do in this situation. And he said, I'm being an example to many because you are my strength and protection. That is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all the day long. David says here, I need to still be a godly influence. Even though I'm getting older, I still need to be an example. I need to model a life of living for God and living for God's the benefits that come from living for God so that the next generation can begin to see that. that those that are coming up may be able to see, hey, that's brother so-and-so, he's, he's, you know, he's older, but man, they, they serve God, that's sister so-and-so. They serve God and they, and they have a blessed life. I always hear this so many times where people use the phrase, I just want to pull back a little bit. Just want to pull back, you know, just take a break. You know, let the younger ones do it now, but what happens when you start doing that, you start taking a longer break where you don't find yourself returning and you're not being an influence. You see the story of Joshua and Caleb in Joshua 14. We know the story of Joshua and Caleb, how they spied out the land with, with the 10 other spies. It says that 10 of them came back with a bad report and the two of them came back with a good report. So God caused them to wander in the wilderness for a number of years, for the 40 years. But God made a promise to Joshua and Caleb that they would enter into the promised land. Those that gave a bad report wouldn't. And Caleb, is now it's time to, 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 to take, take his place and his property, what, he, what was promised to him. And he says, now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well. He has promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness... Today I am 85 years old. I am stronger now than I was when Moses sent me into my journey. I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. He goes, I'm 85 years old, but I can still fight. I still got some fight in me. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. And I'll remember that the, and you will remember when the scouts, we found the descendants of Enoch there in the, great, in, in the great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, he says, I will drive them out. He didn't say, my sons are going to drive them out, my grandsons, my nephews are going to drive them out. He says, I'm going to drive them out. Caleb was 85 years old, and he says, I'm not done yet. I am not done yet. I'm not ready to retire from the battle. Yes, I understand from our careers and all that, that time to take a break, but we cannot retire from the battle that God has us in. He says, I still want to be that example, that testimony. I still want to drive out some giants. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is compelling the children of Israel to obey God. He's trying to compel them to remember to obey God. And he says these words, he says, but watch out, be careful. Never forget what you, you yourself have seen. He's saying, don't ever forget what you've seen, what the Lord has done. 
He said, do not let these memories escape your mind as long as you live. Don't ever forget what the Lord has done. But he also says, and be sure to pass them to your children and your grandchildren. The things that God has done in our lives, the things that God is, is, is miracles that have taken place in our lives, we cannot uh, forget the things that God has done. Again, the reason I say your job is not done, because sometimes we may find ourselves starting over. Pastor Matt mentioned Sunday, he was talking about those, you know, that we do a great job in raising our kids and bringing them up in the house of the Lord, praying for them. And, you know, we pray that they would serve God, but uh, sometimes they just don't do that. Sometimes they decide they want to do something their own way. Uh, in, in, in Judges chapter 2, it was written that Israel served the Lord during Joshua's and all his leaders' lifetime. It says all those that seen the miracles of God, he says they all served the Lord during that time. But in Judges 2.10, it says, but after that generation died, after Joshua and all his leaders and all the elders of that generation, he says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. There's going to be those children who have forgot what the Lord has done. Even though we raised them in the things of God and, you know, and, and, and taught them, there are a lot of, not a lot, but there are going to be those that are, are going to forget what the Lord has done. They're going to be like the prodigal son. They want to go out in the world and experience the world for themselves and do things their own way. And while they're out there in the world, they start having kids of their own. They start having kids. And it's like, well, I don't really agree with what you're doing, but praise God, I got grandkids now. You know, it's like, it's kind of a mixed emotion there. During our time, we and my wife, we, we, we teach the parent project. It's a parenting class. It's a, a, a 10-week program. It brings tools that help parents in raising their kids, especially nowadays. And during our time through the years, we've been almost over 20 years now we've been doing this, um, we've gotten a lot of grandparents that are taking the class, you know, uh, aunts and uncles that have custody of their kids. And we've seen a lot of grandparents that were taking the class. Why? Because they became legal guardians of their grandchildren. Why? Because their children were out in the world just, you know, living like the prodigal son. And they were losing custody of their kids, and the grandparents were getting custody, and the grandparents were bringing the kids in and starting to raise them. I remember one night we were there in class, and after class, a grandmother came to us, and she was just crying. I remember she was just crying with me and Tina, and, and, and she says, I had to bring discipline to one of my granddaughters. And man, she just rebelled on me. She started yelling at me, you're not my mother. You can't tell me what to do. And she just cried and cried, and Tina just hugged her and says, I understand. You don't get to be grandma no more. Now you're trying to have to discipline and do all these things. She's like, how am I going to do this? We just prayed with her. We encouraged her. We said, look, we're here. We, we became a support to her. We found other parents that would become a support to them. And, and if you find yourself in a place like this where you, you, you're, you're became, you know, becoming legal guardians of your grandkids, find support for yourself. Find a support group. Find brothers and sisters in the Lord that will be there to encourage you, to help you, to, to pray for you, just to encourage you to get through this. David says, I've been young and I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God will not forsake us. God is with us. And if we have to start over again, God is going to help us through. Billy Graham, Billy Graham said, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's grandchildren is not money or material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. The greatest thing we can leave our grandchildren is a legacy of faith, a, a life that is lived for God. See, if you become a guardian of your grandchild, aunt, nieces, or nephews, maybe somebody, that younger person that you've taken custody of, a lot of times they may be hurt, they may feel abandoned, even angry. 
But us as grandparents, we got to be able to give them a sense of hope. We got to give them that sense of hope to let them know God is good, God is faithful, things will get better. Psalm 105, it says, For the Lord is good, his unfailing love, and continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each generation. We also need to share our stories, like I mentioned earlier, when Moses was telling the children of Israel. We need to share our stories of God's miracle working power. He says, don't let these memories escape your mind as long as you live, and be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. We need to share the stories of victory. We need to share the stories of God's deliverance and healing and miracle working power that we've seen in our lives. We got to let them know that God is real and God is a miracle worker. We need to share our stories with our grandchildren. It's amazing how grandchildren will sit and listen to you. There's something about your relationship that you have with your grandchild that they'll sit and listen to you and we're able to share their stories. Start new traditions with them. Give them something to look forward to. One of the things we started doing, we, we have always, since our kids were, were younger, we've kind of We'd always take a vacation to Big Bear, but as my kids started having kids, getting married and having kids, uh, we made it a, a point to every year for the, probably about the last four years to take a trip to Big Bear. So there's 16 of us now, so it's not like we can get a little two-bedroom uh, place. We got to get the, the big old six-bedroom, and my son has to make sure that I get the one with the movie theater in it, you know, so it's like, oh, give me a little money here, buddy. So... But we made this a tradition, and what's happening is, like I say, I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, six-year-old. The older ones are, are excited. What I'll do is, like, maybe about March, April, I'll, I'll look for, you know, a place, and I'll look it up, and I'll send a text to my sons and my daughter-in-laws. I'll say, hey, look, are you guys available this day, you know, this week to, uh, to go to Big Bear, and this is the place I want to get? And you'll get, you know, the thumbs up, or we'll, we'll adjust it. But then my grandkids are like oh, excited. Grandpa, Grandpa, when are we going to Big Bear? When are we going to Big Bear? How many days? How many more days? Something to look forward to. Give them something that is like exciting, that they, that they can say, wow, this is good. This is fun. Pray over them. We got to continue to pray over them. Every morning I pray for each one of my grandchildren. I name them by name, that God, that they would know you, Lord. That they would know you, that they would taste and see that you were good as they grow, that they would serve you and live for you. Yesterday, Pastor Reggie called me. And I see him, and then I answer the phone. I go, hey, he goes, hey, did you call me? I go, no. <laughs> he goes, I sent you a text. And he goes, oh, okay. He goes, hey, when are you preaching again? I go, actually, tomorrow night. He goes, let's pray. I go, praise God, I, I could use a prayer. So we start praying. He started praying for me. And then he started praying for my grandchildren. And man, that touched me. Because we need to pray for not only our grandchildren, but we need to pray for each other's grandchildren. We really do. We need to pray for others that have children and grandchildren. We need to, to lift them up in prayer and say, God, that they would know you. God, that they would live for you. God, that they would serve you. And then last week, Manny touched on that, teaching them the word of God, that we would teach them God's word. We also need to be an example of love. We need to let, let the love of God show in our lives, let our light shine. Unfortunately, some of our children's relationships, marriages, may not last. And as angry as we are, as hurt we are with the situation, and if, if, if there's issues of abuse, you need to separate yourself from that. I'm not saying stay in a situation where there's abuse. I mean, you separate yourself. But you have a child that their marriage maybe just didn't work out. You know, they're not together. They're, 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 they're separated, divorced, whatever it be. And yeah, we get angry. We, we get upset about it. But we should never express these negative feelings to our grandchildren. And what I mean by that, I was at a Dodger game some years ago. I, I can't remember if my wife was me or it was just me and the boys. And 
there was a young couple sitting behind us and they had their two young children and then they had like maybe an early teenage girl and for this because the girl the lady behind me was just talking so loud you know I, was hearing every, I heard every conversation she had but during the conversation she's talking to her niece and she's just bad-mouthing her mother you know how your mom is and she does this and that, that and she's just bad-mouthing her mother and I'm thinking to myself what are you doing what are you doing? You're basically turning your niece against her own mother by telling her these things. That basically, you're telling her, you know, your mom doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know. She, she, just, you know, she doesn't understand you. And she was just trying to be the cool, cool aunt. I remember uh, uh, Joe Guterres' uh, memorial service here. I asked Jesse if I could share this. Joe Guterres' grand, uh, granddaughter came up, really ministered to me. She came up. And she shared, you know, she shared her testimony about her grandpa. But one of the things she said is that Joe would always ask her, how is your mom doing? He'd always ask her, how is your mom doing? And by doing this, Joe was showing that it doesn't matter, you know, the situation with your parents' marriage. It doesn't matter what they've gone through. He says, basically, he was telling her, you are my granddaughter, and I love you, and I care about you. And I care about your mother also. And what this did to her, she said, it just made her feel so good that Joe would always care about his, her mother and show that love. We need to be examples of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, she said, I can speak the language of earth or angels, but, it doesn't, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything that I had to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Here the Bible talks about, Paul's writing about, we could have all these spiritual gifts. We could be doing all these things, but if we don't have love, it says we have nothing. If we're not showing love, if we're not expressing the love of God, we have nothing he goes on in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. It does, do not, it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of wrongdoing. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love, love, love never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Here the word of God gives us Paul, Paul's definition of what love is and how we're to show it and express it. So by not showing love, he says we have nothing, we are nothing. And he gives us the definition, this is how love should be. And, and, and he gives us a really a good, good uh, instruction here on how we should love others. And knowing that, being here in the house of God and serving God, I still hear stories of family feuds. What I mean by that is where grandma and grandpa aren't talking to siblings, aunts and uncles aren't talking to each other, nieces and uncles, and uncles are not talking to their aunts and cousins. Nobody's talking to each other. Everybody's upset with each other. Everybody's mad at each other. Nobody speaks, and nobody can even be in the same room. And here we are in the house of God, and God gives us a definition of love, yet we still find ourselves in these family feuds. And what happens is by doing this, we're setting the example for our children, our grandchildren, our younger generations that, hey, this kind of behavior is okay. And what happens is they start to harbor bitterness in their hearts. They start feuding with others. Say, well, my grandma don't talk to my uncle and my, my, my aunt don't talk to my cousin, so hey, why should I talk to them? And we're not showing that example of love that God, lo that God wants us to have. First John 4, 8, 4, 18, it says, 
We love because he first loved us. The reason we're able to love is because God loved us and gave his son for us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he who has seen, cannot love God who he cannot see. So how can you love your brother? How can you hate your brother who you can see, but you say you love God and you can't even see him? And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. We got to end those family feuds because we're setting a terrible example to our grandchildren, our children, that saying, hey, you know, we can fight and argue and do all these things and that's okay. No, it's not. God says we need to love one another. I know people say, well, they're not my brother or sister, but they are a soul that Christ died for. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't understand. It's, it's hard. I, you know, I know people say, man, but you just don't understand what they did. But God knew what we did, and he still forgave us. Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's set an example of Christ-like love. So I, as we, as you know, elders, we show the love to others. We also, as young people, we need to show the same love and respect to, to, to those that are, that, you know, that are over us. This story in Ruth that I was just reading is just really, really ministered to me. And um, the story of Ruth, uh, I can't get into the whole story because of time, but read the book of Ruth, just four chapters. But the story of Naomi, her and her husband, they were in the land there. They had two sons. And it says that Ruth, I mean, uh, Naomi's husband died. And it says her two sons, they were there in the land, and they said that both, you know, they both got married. One got married to Ruth, one got married to Oprah. Not to Oprah Winfrey, but Oprah. Everybody's like, oh, wow, praise God. <laughs> I thought I was going to stop with the jokes. Amen. Praise God. But what happens is, after 10 years, both her sons died, and it left all of them widows. So Naomi decides that she's going to go back to her homeland and, and, and turn back to her homeland. And she tells her daughter-in-laws, just go back to your land. I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to give you. I, I, you know, I have no sons to give you. Just go back to your own land. She says, Oprah went back, and she said, okay, she's going to go with her, her, her family. But Ruth said, no, I'm going to stay here. And in, in Ruth 1.16, it says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And remember, this is her mother-in-law. She's telling her, go back with your family. Go back to your parents. And she says, wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So they go back into uh, Naomi's home, homeland. Uh, they're there. She tells Ruth to go out into the harvest and, and start you know, getting some of the leftovers that were left behind, you know, just so they could, could have something. Well, Ruth does that. She's going out in the fields, and she's there. And what happened was the, the owner of the land, which is Boaz, sees her, and he asks, inquires about her, and he says, hey, she's, her mother-in-law is part of your family. And he starts to show her favor. He starts to, to bless her and say, hey, look, you can be part of what we're doing. You know, help yourself to whatever it is you want. You drink from the well. I've instructed uh, these, everybody around here not to trouble you. And, and he's showing her a lot of favor. He's showing her, uh, you know, kindness. And in, in, in Ruth 2.11, uh, she tells him, that, you know, why are you doing this? Because I'm a foreigner. He says, yes, and Boaz replies, yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. 
I have heard how you left your father and your mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord of God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. He says, I've heard how you showed love to your mother-in-law. And he showed her favor and he said, look, whatever it is you need, it's here for you because of what you've done for your mother-in-law. He says, you, you left your own family to cling to your mother-in-law. We see how through the story that ends up that Boaz and, and Ruth ended up marrying. And it says Ruth has a child. And in Ruth chapter 4, verse 14, and again, Naomi's her mother-in-law. It says, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in all of Israel. He shall be your restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became, became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him his name, and they said, The son has been named, that has been named, born to Naomi, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Basically, he was David's grandfather. You see, just an example of a love for someone that was older than her. She laid her on everything behind so she can, you know, just show the love to her mother-in-law to be there for her, be her by her side. And I was going through this. We, we've known for over a month about, you know, what we're going to be doing. So I've been looking at some things and I had this in here. But I kid you not, I was just amazed uh, a couple weeks ago the Saturday before uh, Mother's Day, one of the sisters asked me to, to minister at her mom's funeral. So I, I said, yeah. So we went to the funeral. And we did the service there. And then we were at the graveside. Sister Joyce was there. Sister Angie Gaxiola was there. And they were standing up. Everybody was like under the tent, the whole family and all that. And, and, and Tina and, and Angie and, and uh, Sister Joyce were kind of to the side under a tree. And there was another lady that was standing there with them. And what it was is she was the deceased woman's uh, former daughter-in-law, the, the, the sister's mom who died. That was her former sister-in-law. She was her former daughter-in-law. Tina started telling me the story that, that she would care for her mother-in-law and father-in-law, that she would take care of them. And even after she got divorced from her husband, she still cared for her in-laws. She says, after the passing of her father-in-law, and I asked if I could share this story. I asked my wife to, if, if we, to ask the sister if I could share the story. So when they say, oh, man, he's giving up all her business. I asked, uh, I asked if, if I could share this. But after her father-in-law passed, he says that he left her the family business because he was so grateful for her taking care of them. And again, they were no longer married. That was her former daughter-in-law. Says that she would give her mother-in-law $1,000 a month. Even sometimes she didn't have it, but she would give her $1,000 a month. Sometimes even more to care for her, but also her, her, her son who also had disabilities. So we were there at the graveside. And it was at towards the end of the service. You know how they start giving flowers out. So what they did is they gave flowers to the immediate family, you know, to go lay them on the casket. So I was standing there under the tree with them. And this young man came and grabbed that woman by the hand. And he, and he took her and, and gave her a flower, and, and they walked up to the casket. And Joyce kind of patted him on the back and told Tina, you know, that's really good that he did that. So later on when we got home, I asked Tina, well, so what was that? Who was that? And she goes, that was that, that, that lady's son. And what he was doing, he was honoring his mother by saying, look, you took care of them. You were part of this. He says, you were part of this family. He grabbed her by the hand, and he honored her by taking her up to the front because she took care of her mother-in-law. She, to the very end of her, of her, her, her days. Last thing we need to, second, almost, almost last thing is we need to learn from our elders. We really need to learn from our elders. Next Monday, 
you don't have to clap. Next Monday will be exactly 20 years that I work, uh, the city that I work for. It'll be my 20-year anniversary working there. I worked five years in another city, another district. And when I got there, I had experience, but when I got there, there was my lead man, and this guy was over 20 years of experience. And I had some experience, but he just taught me so much more. He just taught me, I knew quite a bit, but he just, some of the things, the ins and outs, some of the secrets to the business, and how to work with different types of pipe, and um, we, you know, working with lead, a lot of the pipes had lead that we had to, had to deal with. And he they really taught me a lot. And, and, and when I started, I was a worker too, and then I got promoted to a lead man. And then about four years later, after I started, he retired. And then just six years ago, I became supervisor. But during my time, we got this young guy that came in and got, got a job and started working with us. And he was a pretty good worker. But his way of think, his thinking is the way you get ahead is by bad-mouthing everybody around you, to try to make everybody else look bad. So one day, my supervisor calls me into the office. He goes, hey, I just want to let you know what this guy said. I go, what did he say? He goes, well... He says that, you know, basically Robert just learns from the old guys. He just learned from the old guys. He does stuff the old way. You know, he, he doesn't really know what he's doing. And me and my boss just started laughing. My boss, because my boss knew me, you know, he knew I knew what I was doing. But he just kind of like devalued the, 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 the experience of, of the, the, the men that I learned from. What my lead man taught me was invaluable. What I learned from him caused me to have a successful career what I'm doing. And us, us as, as, as young people, we need to value the experience of those who paved the way for us. We really need to value those, you know, as they try to give us some insight, give us some wisdom, you know, try to teach us. It's so invaluable that we just take it in, soak it in, and learn from them because it, it'll save us from a lot, a lot of heartache at times. Psalm 78 says, Oh, people, listen to my instruction. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. He says, I will teach you hidden lessons from the past. Stories we have heard and known, stories of our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded them to teach their children so the next generation might know them. Even the children not born, not born yet, will teach them to their children. So each generation should set a hope, set a new hope on God, not forgetting the glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Our Mother's Day service, I was, I was so blessed because I knew it was kind of going along with what I was ministering on. Because on, on, Sister Nancy had some of the older women in the church who had some great experience and some great testimonies. And, and it really just really spoke to me, really just kind of encouraged me to see these women of God who have been some, through some battles, still serving God, still living for God, amen? In Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, again, we're talking about learning from our elders. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and pure, to work in their homes and to do good. Again, young women, we need to, not we, we need to learn from young women. <laughs> Hey, sometimes some older women could teach us some things, amen? And I'm serious. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by living a godly life. It's talking about the, the honor of, of an older person. I told my wife, I'm starting to look like a snow cone. My hair's turning so white. Since the other day, she was calling me snow cone, amen? And I told her I must start shaving my head. Be like Richard, amen? Second Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy here. And he said, I remember your, general, I re, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that has filled your grandmother and your mother, Lois. 
and, and your mother, Julius, and I know that same faith continues in you. I says, I, Paul's acknowledging his grandmother and his mother who are an example, a testimony, who, who, who shared their faith with them. And now uh, Timothy has that strong faith too because of his mother and his grandmother the influence they had over his life, the, the, the instruction they must have brought to him in his life. And Paul knew that and acknowledged that, and he acknowledged Eunice and Lois. Deuteronomy 32.7 says, Remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. It says, Ask your fathers, and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders, and they will tell you. Again, we need to honor, we need to respect, we need to learn from our elders. Oh God, you have taught me from my very earliest childhood, David writing, Oh God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood and I consistently tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me. He says, let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all that come after me. We have to have that willingness to share, but you also have to have the willingness to learn, to, to, to receive the stories that we have. We can have the platform come up. I remember this time, amen. Last time I forgot. I, I made it in bold letters, underlined it, and highlighted it right here, amen. I forgot last time, amen. We need to work together as our last point. It's easy to become a grumpy old man or a grumpy old woman. You know, we start talking about that's not how it's done. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're always on their phones. You know, just angry about everything, bitter about everything. I can get grumpy at times with my sons. And my wife always, always tells me, can you see your dad doing that? And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> But we can get angry, we can get bitter, we can become grumpy and start complaining about the next generation and we find ourselves not wanting to work with them because we just, oh man, we complain about everything they do and not really see what God wants to do in their lives. It's the same way for the younger. You could look at us as out of touch with reality. Oh, you just do things the old way. Man, look at you guys, you don't even know how to use your phones, you know, and they don't want to work with us. They don't even want to work with us. What happens is it causes a great divide in the church. Because now it's like we're separated. It's the young against old. You know, it's just a, a line split down the middle. We need to be able to work together. We need to help each other. We need to learn from each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to root each other on and be there for each other. I remember our Good Friday service when the young, young kids came up. I don't want to call them kids. But the young teens came up. And man, the excitement in this place cheering section people were cheering I know a lot of it was a lot of grandparents in here and I'm thinking man that's how it's got to be they were encouraging each other cheering each other on rooting for each other saying yes you can do it you can make it you can serve God look at my life look at what I've done not as a as a boastimony but to say look what God has done in my life we need to be able to work together Psalm 133, 1 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. What a beautiful thing when God's people live together in unity. Why? Because it brings growth, it brings strength, and it brings revival to a church when God's people are united. Timothy says, 1 Timothy, Paul writes for Timothy, he says, never speak harshly to an older man. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. It's talking about how we need to treat each other. 
You know, that we'd say, oh, you're just a kid. You don't know nothing. But say, you know what? God is going to use your life. God is going to do something great in your life. You're going to be great. And then to look at our older people, say, man, I admire you. I, I thank God for what you've done and what you're doing. I value your input in my life. We need to be like that, not feuding with one another. As a church, during a time of adversity, I've seen young and old lock arms together. And we moved together as a body of Christ. We really did. And what we're seeing is we're seeing the fruit of it. We're seeing the fruit of the young and old coming together and saying, you know what? We're going to keep moving forward for God. We know this may be a bump in the road, but God is going to move. God's going to bless our lives. And we're seeing the fruit of it. God, let's never, ever let age divide us. But let us learn from each other. Finally, the last scripture I'll use in Psalm 92, verse 12, it says, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. In our old age, we're still going to produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. We talk about a generational covering. Yes, we talk about our, 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 our grandparents, aunts, uncles, those elders in the church. And we need to be that influence. We need to be able to, 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 to be, not retire from God. Yes, retire from our careers and you know, enjoy it, but we still need to have the responsibility to train up and raise up the next generations. Now, we don't retire from that. Say, yeah, I know it. Let somebody else do it. But say, you know what? Just like Caleb, man, I'm 85 years old and I'm still ready for some battles. And young person, you need to value your elders, you need to value what they're imparting to your lives. Love them, encourage them also, and we'll see great blessing in this church. Let's bow our heads tonight.